Her Wanda Vasquez flip-flops while her campaign struggles to get a grip. Meanwhile, statehooders are left to feel she has zero interest in statehood. In US news, Bloomberg actively campaigned a statehood platform for Puerto Rico, while Bernie Sanders takes second fiddle in Iowa. I'm Amy Gonzalez, and this is Inside the Colony. Welcome back, everybody. I hope everyone's having a good day so far. Um, what a couple of interesting weeks. Um, very, very interesting weeks, to say the least. Um, let's start with the earthquakes. Um, Puerto Rico has been having major or significant earthquakes uh, since December, since basically at the end of the December. Um, and generally, uh, we had very bad earthquakes on the 7th, on the 6th day of the January. Um, and um, uh, this, all of them are basically happening, m more or less, on the southwest region of Puerto Rico. There has been other instances of uh, earthquakes as well on on others on other parts of the of Puerto Rico, like on the northwest side, um, and some of some others on the northeast side as well. But basically, the ninety nine point nine percent of the ones that are happening right now are happening on the uh, southwest um, area. Uh, Guanica, uh, Ponce, uh, all that, you know, all those uh, municipalities um, have been greatly, greatly affected, uh, buildings collapsing, houses collapsing. Um, uh, it's, it's been very tragic for um, the people that, that live there. Uh, and all we can say and, and we, we can pray, I mean, let's, let's pray that they're, they're, you know, everything is, uh, uh, turns out, uh, well for them that they can find the, the, the much needed help from their neighbors uh, from families from from everybody around the island and that they can actually you know uh, get ahead of this and, and move forward um, but having said that uh, this uh, series of earthquakes and, and this and the emergency that erupted because of this has resulted in in, in Wanda Vasquez imploding. Her campaign has been seen with a series of flip-flops. Well, not the campaign, but her, and obviously that affects her re-election campaign and efforts that she's been, um, or she's having, or she has to have in order to get re-elected in, um, in November of 2020. Uh, she did not manage this uh, um, emergency uh, very well. Um, she could be, she could have all the good intentions, but definitely there were very, very miscalculated events and uh, to say the least Wanda had a problem with explaining what happened with the emergency supplies that were found in Ponce some people were able to find uh, locate and find and, and infiltrate let's put it that way they basically infiltrated this warehouse um, that was located in, or is located in Ponce, Puerto Rico, and and they found a ridiculous amount of supplies there, tons of supplies. I mean, from diapers to water to lots of supplies. And the first thing you start ask you have you got to ask yourself is well, what's why is this supplies not being used? I mean, we're having emergencies down in you know down in the south. Uh, the people there are, are basically in need of uh, of any supplies they can get. I mean, the, the people are sleeping outside of their homes in parks and uh, open areas just because, I mean, some of them lost their houses, but most of them did not. But However, they don't want to go back. 
um, they are afraid to go back inside their houses and, 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 you know, be struck with one of these earthquakes and, you know, their house is collapsing uh, right under them, uh, right on top of them, right? So they don't want to go back to their houses. Now, they don't feel safe there. They don't feel comfortable um, after, you know, taking at, you know, how often it's actually moving there. The earthquakes over there are very, very constant or has been very constant. So people need their need help and the first thing people, you know, start asking is, wait, what is all this aid doing here in this storage that nobody has ever said anything about it? Well, I mean, if if that aid was sitting there because of some specific purpose, you need to say it. For example, let, let's put it this way. I don't know. I, I'm not in the government. I don't run the government. And I'm not there. I don't know. There could be many reasons that it was, uh, was sitting there. I don't know the reasons. But I believe that Wanda and her government officials need to explain or needed to explain what was doing there. Why was nobody using it? Or if it was being used, then explain that it was being used according to whatever plan they had. I can argue, and I can uh, right here that that aid is, was there because in the beginning when Maria happened in 2017, we didn't have any... Um, storage warehouses with uh with aids with 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 uh you know with emergency aid we didn't this is one of the reasons uh it took us so long to actually recuperate from maria I mean, not even fema had uh their their logistics team they didn't have any warehouses here with with um with aid well, they didn't have water they didn't have anything i mean i re i still remember to this day uh, donald trump saying that the um, the emergency relief was uh, from FEMA was actually very challenging because we were an island surrounded by water, lots of water, big water, something like that. I'm not I'm kind of paraphrasing what he said, but that's what he said. And well, you know, yes, we were an island surrounded by water. That's true. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous, but yeah, but we are. But the, the, what he's trying to say on the line is, hey, we didn't have the necessary equipment, the necessary aid, um, supplies over there. So we basically had to bring that up from the States all the way to Puerto Rico. And it, it, it takes a lot of effort to do that in an emergency. So I can understand maybe the government say, hey, we have this there because we just happen, we, we learned from Maria that we have to have some sort of supplies somewhere i mean we have to have supplies scattered around the island so if an emergency happens in some area we have the we have supplies on other areas that we can use to actually you know help the people um and that makes a lot of sense i could argue that well that was sitting there because there's this plan that we have been developing and this warehouse is supposed to be used for x y and z i don't know it is not my job to explain but the fact of the matter is that they didn't know how to explain. And when they try to explain, they flip-flop it like two or three times, to say the least. First they say, well, they didn't know about this warehouse. Then after that, they say, oh, we know of the warehouse, but, you know, uh, these other people didn't know the warehouse. Then everybody, at the end of the day, resulted everybody knew about the warehouse. So, it, uh, given this type of messages to the people... It doesn't help. It, it really doesn't help at all. It just creates more anxiety. It creates more disbelief. And 
and it makes you look that you're not trustworthy. And you may argue, well, the government is not trustworthy. Well, I understand that, but technically, I mean, you gotta have some sort of, um, you gotta try to give to the public some sort of, uh, uh, you know, feeling that you're in control of a situation. Even if you may may not be, you have to try to uh, show that you're in control and that you know what's going on and that everything has a plan and everything's there for a purpose. You you can't come here and say one thing and the next two days later say something else that goes completely opposite to what you were already saying and then have people around your administration basically debunking you and saying that you're what you're saying is not true that doesn't help you at all and you're running a re-election and it's not just because of running a re-election i mean you, you shouldn't be uh, uh you shouldn't be focusing your administrative or administrative um matters based on re-elections but technically you have to be more conscious of what you're doing and all you needed all they needed to do was basically explain what's the purpose of this warehouse and and any other warehouse they have they, they i mean it happened that we found out that there's other warehouses around the island well your job is to explain why what's what's what is the stuff doing there what is it per for and if it's being used how is it being used and for what purpose if it's not being used, then why it's not being used? Is, is there a reason it's not being used? So technically, it, it, you, you know, you have to have um, consistent explanations that make sense. And if, hey, if, if, if the reality of things is that you really didn't remember uh, or you didn't even know that was there, then you didn't know. You, you just, you got to say, you got to be honest. You didn't know. Don't try to say that you know or you knew or you kind of knew but you didn't. You didn't know. You didn't know. And say it. If you say the truth to the people, even if the truth hurts, at the end of the day, they're going to respect you more. They're going to do. They're going to They're gonna actually respect you more. Even if the truth hurts. Even if it's unthinkable that you didn't know. It, at the end of the day, you're going to look better because what happens when you start making up stories is that one story comes one day, another story comes two days after, and the other story comes five days after. And when you're doing, you're dragging this thing, this this situation that is hurting you as a government institution is basically being dragged. Instead of have, being a topic for one or two days in the radio and in the news, it's going to be the topic for the next two weeks because you're keeping, you, you keep dragging the story. Because you're obviously saying something that makes no sense and you know it's not true. So you got to make up stories to cover your story and you st just continue covering stuff up and you make no sense at all. And at the end of the day, you have a mess. So this is this is basically her struggling. I mean, the, the governor, Wanda Vasquez, struggling and her campaign struggling to get this, you know, and, and, and move on. Um, obviously, at the end of the day, something's going to, you know, they're going to move on with some other... Uh, situation that's gonna rise that it's you know they're gonna they're gonna forget the uh, warehouses uh, eventually it, it, it always does I mean that's that's how it always happens I think someone there has to sit down and have a clear discussion when things happen so they can actually come up with a, a, a reasonable sound explanation and more than reasonable more than sound a, a, a true explanation the the, the 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 true facts of what's going on if you actually do that, 
like I said, at the end of the day, you are going to look better. Your government is going to look better. And it's going to hurt. It's going to bite. But we're going to move on. And we are, we are going to appreciate that you actually came out with the truth from the beginning and not at the end. And talking about flip-flops, we're going to be talking about the flip-flop regarding the statehood uh, referendum. But first... Okay, so what's going on with the status referendum and why I'm saying that she's flip-flopping about it? Well, Puerto Rico has had many plebiscites before. Um, we had one in 1967, we had another one in 1993, another one in 1998, 2012, and finally in 2017. So, this administration had in, the, in their um, government plan it is established that they were going to use not only uh, the referendum that that already happened in 2017, but they were going to use and they were going to uh, you know uh, activate many methods to actually advocate and move forward the statehood and the admission of Puerto Rico as a state. One of the things that they approved on the New Progressive Party was, in fact, the referendum about statehood but a vote of statehood, yes or no. So it's been it's been talked about that basically we are going to most likely have this referendum during the election. Uh, so that'll be uh, November of 2020. We don't know the specifics. We don't know how the ballot is going to ultimately be constructed. But it's been said that we're going to be having an up or down vote on statehood, meaning that you're going to say yes, we want statehood, or no, we don't want statehood. This would be the first time we actually have a referendum like this in Puerto Rico because we don't all the other referendums have had multiple choices between different status options whether that be uh, you know a ballot basically saying well choose one of these status options that you want one of them is statehood independence free association all that stuff this is the first time that it's going to be constructed this way it's a, it's a very simple way of saying yes or no to something and to be honest with you I think it's, it's kind of risky I mean we have never had this type of referendum before and I'm not sure how it's going to turn out maybe it turns out that there's a yes vote a majority yes vote maybe there's maybe the majority say no we don't know we never know politics is something that you you're not 100% certain of things right I believe that we're going to win it. I believe that the statehood is going to... That the majority of people are going to say yes, but it it is not... I cannot assure that that's going to happen. However, there is one way that I think it's going to work that is going to make it so more probable that people vote yes to the question. And that is if we ultimately make it so that the federal government um, supports the referendum. If we get a federally sponsored referendum in Puerto Rico, something that the government, the U.S. government can, you know, can put their support behind, I... I am not. I can't say I'm. All, I'm. I'm absolute certain, but I am most certain that the yes option is going to be victorious 
because people are going to get more motivated. People are going to know, oh, wait, this referendum is actually important because it matters. It matters because if we say no, the federal government over there are going to go with the no and they're going to be more responsive and they're going to make it their own. So if we say no or we say yes, whatever we say is actually much more relevant now than on the past plebiscites that, you know what, it was just a non-binding plebiscite. So whatever happened, meaning that whatever happens here didn't affect or, you know, it, it didn't bind the federal government to do anything. So that is one way that I think it will ultimately be beneficial for the just to win. And if you ask me whether we have to have the referendum, whether or not, irrespective of whether we get that uh, sponsorship from the federal government or not, my answer would be yes. I think that yes, we need to have the referendum no matter what. However, I am aware, and I have said this before to people that I know, that It is my belief, it is my impression. It is not one of us's impression, it is not who, nobody else's impression. It, it, this is my opinion. I think that if we continue to make referendums and plebiscites and referendums and plebiscites that are not consequential, we, at the end of the day, we end up risking the fact that maybe, maybe the statehood movement starts eroding and starts losing um, motivation to actually go and vote ev subsequently, eventually. I'm not saying now, I'm not saying in five years, I'm not saying in ten, but maybe subsequently and eventually people can lack motivation, the, the enough motivation to actually go into one of these future plebiscites. Because it's like the, it's like the wolf story, you know, the wolf is coming, the wolf is coming. But the wolf never comes. Oh, statehood's coming. If we vote here, we're going to move statehood so bad that it's gonna, the statehood's going to come tomorrow. And if we, and then five years passes, nothing happens. And then, oh, if we vote in this one now, in this one, with, with this one, we are really, we are a hundred percent sure we're really going to move this thing. We're going to create this massive movement over there in the capital. And we're going to make it, you know, so that they respect our vote. Then nothing happens. And then comes the next one. Well, people are going to get tired eventually. This Again, this is my opinion. So, and what could be the end result for people getting tired is that at the end of the day, the independence movement is actually waiting. They're right there. They're just standing in line. They're just waiting for the right moment to actually make their move. And what Will be what would be a great moment if not in 10, 15 years from now, if the statehood movement starts lacking this motivation that I'm speaking of and they start not showing to the referendums, what better way to basically go there in that election, let's say 20 years from now, a plebiscite? and go there and vote, independence voters voting for no, or voting for yes to independence, 
or in a st independence versus statehood movement uh, I mean not movement but uh, uh, vote uh, um, voting for independence and what if they ultimately go and beat statehood I'm not saying independence is bad I said this before I think I said it in the uh, previous episode but I don't think independence is bad the problem with independence is when you mix independence with socialism and communism and um, communism and then then we have a problem here but again again we end up lose we end up risking our movement to lose motivation and also for the independence movement to actually wait and wait and wait until the right moment and then the then then they take us by surprise so what i'm saying is Yes, we need to have the vote no matter what because I think that we state people that advocate for statehood, we need to vote every time there's a question. We cannot let this pass because every single consultation is actually important and relevant. Even if we think that nothing happens, something happens. You know, something happens. There's always... You always move forward, even if it's in small steps, you always move forward. That is my take on it. It could be slow. It could be slow as hell. But I think that ultimately you always move things forward, even if it's just a tiny bit. My take is we have to have a consultation. Or we, I, I, I do prefer a consultation where we can use... The $2.5 million that we have appropriated in Congress and sitting there, and it's not just because I want to use the money to finance the elections. Again, I said this before, but I do think that using that money and having the DOJ approve the ballot and having them be committed to whatever end result we, you know, the consultation provides, I think that makes it so much more relevant. And I think that instead of advancing the issue one step at a time, maybe we actually do a, a giant leap forward. And maybe, you know, we accelerate things. And this can motivate a lot of people into vote. And, and I'm, again, pretty certain it's going to be a yes vote. But what's going on with Wanda? Well, Wanda said pretty much what I'm saying, but she didn't know how to say it. The way she said it was like, oh, people are getting tired and they, they don't want no, no referendum if, they, if that's not very sponsored. But I mean, I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to sign that bill into law. No, I'm not. That's how it looked. Then obviously stakeholders were like, whoa, and you're running for re-election on our, on our, uh, under our party insignia, under the new progressive party insignia, which is the statehood, the pro-statehood party. Are you really doing that? And you're saying that you're you're not gonna sign this, the the referendum into law because it's not fair, unless it's fairly sponsored, and the people are getting tired. You know the way she said it was not was not the most intelligent way to explain the position I just explained. She should have just said, "We're moving forward." Is but with Flavio said, "I'm gonna sign it into law." However, I would urge my colleagues in the party and the government. Uh, and my government officials to actually move this thing and try to get the federally sponsored sponsorship. If she would have said that, that would have resonated much more with the base and with the stakeholders, and everybody would have said, whoa, 
okay, she's serious about this. She's gonna go. She's gonna go forward. She's gonna sign it. But she's even asking to make it to to make it so that it's actually a binding referendum, or at least a little bit more binding than what has been passed. So when the stakeholders got mad and they were like, I mean, really mad at her, then she flip flops. And she's saying, no, no, I didn't say that. Well, you know, the plebiscite is important. I'm going to sign into law. We're going to have the referendum. I mean, no doubt about it. I'm going to sign that into law. Well, again, Wanda, you know, if you, uh, if you think things through, through the, since the beginning, you could have had a more coherent, more reasonable explanation from the start. Again, that I'm sure that's what you meant anyway, but I'm sure you didn't say that. You did not say that. So you flip-flopping is not helping your campaign. And it's not helping you beat Pedro Pierluisi. It's not in any way. If you ask anybody right now, who's more statehooder than you, than, uh, between the two of you, like 90% are going to say Pedro Pierluisi. And we can argue here who's the better candidate or not. I'm not going to enter into the, into that in this episode yet. I'm going to move. I'm going to leave that for another episode. But technically, you can't do this thing. I mean, you got to be more conscious of what you're saying. Again, it's the same thing that happened with the emergency situation and the uh, and the warehouses. You can't be flip flopping every 24 hours. You have to be consistent with what you say. Either you go with A or you go with B, but you cannot mix both. It's, it doesn't help you at all. And people are going to get mad and they're not going to rally behind you. They're not going to rally behind you. Balmoria, A Fallen Empire. A novel written by Carlos Martis Vargas. He's a very good friend of mine. And he did this novel just in 2018 with the help of his family and friends. And you can find this novel in Amazon, whether that be a digital copy or a paperback copy. If you want to reach out to him, you want to lend him a hand, you want to give him your thoughts and support um, this author, you can contact him at cmmartis01 at gmail.com. And his Facebook is www.facebook.com slash c-m-a-u-t-o-r-i-n-d. That is facebook.com slash c-m-a-u-t-o-r-i-n-d. Falmoria. A Fallen Empire. Okay, moving now to the U.S. political landscape. So, let's talk about Bloomberg first. We'll take uh, Bernie Sanders down the road, but let's, let's talk a little bit more about Bloomberg. Bloomberg has been basically skipping the first few primaries. He skipped Iowa. He skipped New Hampshire. And he's going to keep skip the, the next couple of ones. He's going to pretty much, he's, he's betting more on the Super Tuesday event. And that's a very interesting scenario. This is the first time that I've seen a candidate pretty much skipping the first states. Like it's like it doesn't mean anything. Let this bunch of people basically kill itself, kill themselves in the first few elections, and uh, and then bet bet himself in the and and insert himself, I should say, into the big event, the Super Tuesday event, and so forth. Bloomberg has been massively campaigning, at least here in Puerto Rico. I can assure you, I have not seen a single ad from anybody 
other than Bloomberg. I have seen, I, I listen to a lot of local radio, local news radio, um, and political analysis. And, you know, I can, I can hear his, his ads two to three times every time uh, the advertising, advertising segments uh, come. So imagine that the whole day. It is huge, and I'm pretty sure I haven't been much into uh, uh, Hulu or or, or other um, uh, platforms, streaming platforms on F, well, not Netflix, but with Hulu and other platforms that have advertisement. I haven't been there for 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 quite a while, so I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure he is campaigning there as well. He's campaigning big and huge in uh, uh, Facebook. Let me let me let, let me go and um, show you what the numbers of his spending look like so looking into uh, uh the guardian um the guardian says and i'm gonna i'm gonna read you the guardian news so just how much did it cost to buy the u.s presidency 80 million a billion a couple of billion it looks as if michael bloomberg is trying to find out he's entering the race in november he has spent an unprecedented amount of money trying to win the democratic nomination in less than three months bloomberg who is worth about 60 billion has spent about $320 million on TV advertising alone. Since January, Bloomberg has spent more on Facebook ads than Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Pete Buttigieg, and Elizabeth Warren combined. So this proves my point that he has been very active in Facebook. I, I have noticed it myself. I mean, like, like I said, I scroll up or down, and I all I see is ads of Bloomberg, ads of Bloomberg, and ads of Bloomberg. And again, the radio is the same thing. Uh, I haven't noticed much on the TV yet at least for me I don't I don't watch a lot of local TV but I mean the the couple things the, the few things that I do do see I I haven't noticed a, a quite as quite as a impressive impact there on the TV but I'm pretty sure it's gonna be there and as, as the primaries and Super Tuesday and the Puerto Rico primaries are get closer uh, I'm pretty sure we're gonna see a lot of more of that as well so now let's let's look at the polls. Let's look at the uh, how how everybody is basically polling nationally. We, we're gonna go into real real clear politics right here. Um, and according to Real Clear, um, the national average for Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders is still at top. He is at at twenty seven point six as of today. Biden follows with six seventeen point six. Bloomberg is actually third, and he hasn't even been on a single. Um, primary yet he's polling at 15.4 that is the uh, again I'm talking about average numbers not individual polls um, Warren follows with 12.6 Buttigieg 10.2 Klobuchar with 6.6 and so forth so you can see actually Bloomberg rising um, he has he has stepped in his game and I'm pretty sure this his advertising and the money has spent has, has made an impact. I mean, he is now polling third on the average national, very close to Biden. And I think, to be honest with you, these are the two um, moderates, uh, obviously Bernie Sanders and, and Warren being the complete left side, liberal side uh, socialist. But I think Biden is actually, is actually hurting Bloomberg. Well, actually, it could be uh, it could be both ways. I mean, both both are hurting each other. I think that um, 
uh, it, it to, for Bloomberg to really rise, I think Biden has to drop out of the campaign, which I think it's going to happen eventually. Now, talking about this, let's talk a little bit more about Biden. Biden uh, has not has under, underperformed in all the two primaries so far. He's betting more on the South Carolina primary, mostly because he's betting that he's going to have he's going to do better with the um, black voters there. Uh, he, he it is believed that he resonates more with that type of voter, so he's trying desperately to stay alive until and making the case that you know I'm gonna do better here. I've seen this before. I've seen this in the 2016 uh, GOP primaries where I it, the same thing was was basically the whole point of Jeb Bush campaign. Uh, obviously not not talking about South Carolina, but he was actually expecting to do well, even though he was underperforming. Every time he went to the primary, he was saying, "I'm gonna, you know, I should be doing better here and there." And at the end of the day, he didn't do either. He didn't do well in either of those uh, states that he was supposed to be doing well, and ultimately uh, had to, you know, uh, stop his campaign. And I I really see the similarities here. Uh, Biden being part of the establishment and and the similarities with Jeb Bush back then he was part he was considered the establishment and in this case Jeb Bush had the biggest pack back then I mean he didn't obviously he couldn't even with the biggest pack he couldn't solidify his nomination obviously Biden doesn't have the most amount of money here Bloomberg has but I do see the similarities here between Biden in the Democratic side in this primary with the 2016 uh, Republican primaries with Jeb Bush itself. I think there he's going to ultimately fail. His campaign is going to run out of gas and he's going to eventually drop. Obviously, he's trying, like I said, to make it all the way to South Carolina. I think that if he underperforms there, he's going to ultimately drop after South Carolina. And I, and I think he's going to drop. I don't think he's going to really make it to the Super Tuesday. He might, depending on how he does, and, and that is something that you never know. Politics is something that is ever-changing. It changes every 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 day. And it depends on what you do and what your message is, but ultimately his message has been terrible, to say, to say the least. And so, like I said, I really think that it, both Bloomberg and Biden are hurting each other, so someone needs to drop... For the other one to rise, but if it takes too long for someone to drop, whether that be Bloomberg or whether that be Biden, it's gonna hurt at the end of the day because Bernie Sanders is gonna continue solidifying his his base, and is gonna I you know the way I see Bernie now talking about Bernie, the way I see Bernie, I see a lot of similarities with the Trump campaign back in 2016. Um, that you know, he's pretty much the opposite of, of Trump. He's 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 the left, the radical left, uh, the socialist. Uh, well, he's actually even said uh, has been linked to communism as well. So I see Bernie as the total opposite end of of Trump in this primary, and I see him with this solid base. This this. 25, 30% base 
that is going to keep having no matter what. And if the other candidates don't drop soon enough, they don't drop as fast as they should. At the end of the day, he's going to get the nomination. Now, obviously, the nomination here in the Democratic Party is a little bit different than the Republican Party. They do uh, this by, um, uh, you know, uh, by proportion of delegates, so it's not winner takes all. But, but, uh, so that that means that m maybe there's a chance that you know Bernie Sanders cannot solidify and have the 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 um, the required delegates to win the nomination. But again, I think if if as long as the other candidates take too long to drop, the better the chances for Bernie Sanders to win the nomination. That being said, Bernie Sanders is, it's, like I said before, he's a socialist and he's a communist, and he has this crazy idea, and he calls, him, he calls himself a democratic socialist. I'm a democratic socialist. And that people are going to, you know, are going to know, he's going to tell people what democratic socialism means and what it entails and all that. So here's Bernie Sanders talking about and defining, in his own words, um, what is democratic socialism? Well, we're going to win because first we're going to explain what democratic socialism is. And what democratic socialism is about is saying that it is immoral and wrong that the top one-tenth of one percent in this country own almost 90 percent, almost own almost as much wealth as the bottom 90 percent. That it is wrong today in a rigged economy that 57% of all new income is going to the top 1%. That when you look around the world, you see every other major country providing health care to all people as a right, except the United States. You see every other major country saying to moms that when you have a baby, we're not going to separate you from your newborn baby because we are going to have, we are going to have medical and family paid leave like every other country on earth. So this is Bernie Sanders. And here he talks about the top 1%. The top 1%. Well, I don't think he's, he's in the poverty line or he's in the middle class. Let's, let's look at the... Uh, let's look at the... Um, uh, well, uh, right here, what uh, Fox Business is actually reporting online. Um, it says, and I'm going to read it. According to estimates from Forbes... The 77-year-old presidential candidate has a net worth about 2.5 million. Now, I don't know about you, but 2.5 million doesn't sound like uh, he's very poor. Um, I don't know if that's in the top 1% or not, but it, I'm pretty sure it's very close and it's not something I'm worth. And it's not something I'm pretty sure you're worth that you're hearing me. So I don't know what this socialist communist is, is talking about criticizing people at the top 1%. But definitely he's not, he's not, he's not poor. He's not middle class. So, I mean, for me, it's, it's just a bunch of lies. Uh, and then he talks about how he's going to provide better um, medical pay leave for the mom so that the child doesn't get separated from the mom at birth. This is coming from a socialist. that I'm sure that if you ask Bernie Sanders, and I'm, I'm not sure, I don't know if someone has asked him this before, but I'm sure that if someone's asked Bernie Sanders this, are you in favor of abortion? He's going to probably say yes. I mean, pretty much every candidate in the Democratic side, you know, is, is, is pro-abortion. So I, 
I don't have reason to believe that Bernie is going to be any different. Even the moderates are more are, are even pro-abortion. So, I mean, how could I believe that this radical left socialist communist is going to be uh, pro-life? I don't think so. I'm pro-life. I don't think he is. So, isn't that what you actually do when, when you're pro-abortion? You separate the baby from the mother because obviously you kill the baby before he, the baby's born? So this guy is talking about not separating the baby from the mother when the baby's born, and he's going to give this all credible, all this incredible, you know, uh, social uh, pro worker, um, uh, uh, you know, um, benefits. But you're also pro abortion. Great, that makes a lot of sense to me. But that's that's Bernie Sanders. Um, and Bernie Sanders have not done very well. He he actually did not do well in Iowa, uh, back in the in the Iowa uh, pr primary caucus. Uh, uh, in fact, he got twelve delegates there. Pete Buttigieg, which was to me a surprise back then in Iowa, he actually got thirteen delegates. So actually, Buttigieg got one more delegate. And if you go into New Hampshire, where you know everybody expected Bernie Sanders to do much better he, he actually did better uh, that's fair to say but not so great i mean Pete Buttigieg actually was had tied up with the delegates with him they both have Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg they both have nine delegates from the New Hampshire primary again he hasn't been doing so well obviously he's expected to do well in the in the next uh, states but Bernie Sanders took second fiddle right there in Iowa. Not expected at all. And almost, technically almost, takes second fiddle. And for me, it's a second fiddle. If, if you're tied up with Pete Buttigieg, nobody was expecting to actually even uh, remotely get there, for me, you're, you just got second fiddle in, in New Hampshire as well. Even though you won, of course. But, you know, in my, in my book, he got second fiddle. Now, whether he's going to be able to improve that well it's gonna it's gonna depend on what happens with Biden and Bloomberg for me at least for me because I don't think uh, Buttigieg has any chance I don't think Klobuchar has any chance and Warren is pretty much fading and going to the abyss so I think that at the end of the day like I said before ultimately it's gonna the, the, the US Democratic primaries are gonna come down to either Bernie Sanders or Michael Bloomberg and talking about Michael Bloomberg and Bernie Sanders, let's talk briefly why this is so important for Puerto Rico. And the fact of the matter is that Bloomberg has been actively campaigning. Like I said, I've seen lots and lots of advertising. But he's been actively campaigning a stated platform for Puerto Rico. Actively. Obviously, he has been endorsed by Pedro Pierluisi, which is one of the two candidates for the uh, New Progressive Party here in Puerto Rico. He's going to have his own primary later on. And on the other side of the spectrum, we have Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders, which has as a co-campaign director, none other than Carmen Julín Cruz, which is the mayor of San Juan, another socialist communist. I mean, at least she has been identified as a socialist communist. But then again, it is so critical here in Puerto Rico because if if people, if the Puerto, if Puerto Rico rejects Bloomberg after he has actively campaigned 
with a statehood platform for Puerto Rico, which actually means quite a lot, and people and the people here reject him. And on top of that, they elect someone like Bernie Sanders, and they give them the majority of the delegates here in Puerto Rico. That speaks. That speaks about how much we're interested in statehood in reality. You're just saying if we actually do that, we're just saying to the U.S. Um, to the U.S. government, we're saying, you know what? We don't care about statehood. This guy actually campaigned a statehood pl platform for Puerto Rico, and we did not care about it. We actually elected a socialist communist Bernie Sanders, and that's that's the icing on the cake. You're not you're not just saying no to someone that is actually giving you, um, you know, uh, the option for statehood. And, and having a plan to actually achieve such 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 statehood, you, ju you just didn't just reject that. It's just that the icing on the cake is that actually you favored a socialist communist. That's even worse. So again, very important, the democratic campaign here in Puerto Rico. So I am I really have to urge all the statehooders to go there and vote. I can't. I can't vote. I'm a I'm a registered Republican, so I cannot vote in that election. But I, obviously, you know, as a statehooder myself, I'm, I urge all the Democrats to vote there and to actually vote for Michael Bloomberg, which is the candidate that is actually campaigning a statehood flat platform for Puerto Rico. And having said that, that has been all for today. And again, I'm Ivan Gonzalez, and this is Inside the Colony. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave a 5-star review. Also, please tell your families, your friends, and everyone you know about this podcast and tell them to subscribe as well. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Breaker, and almost everywhere you listen to your own podcasts. And if you want to support this podcast, you can also go to anchor.fm slash itc slash support. That is anchor.fm slash itc slash support. You can find a link of this in the description of our channel. Thank you very much and have a wonderful day.